Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. Most of the time, when a pastor talks about spiritual warfare, they go straight to the armor of God. It's found in Ephesians 6. But what if I told you that there's one tactic you must implement before the armor or else the armor itself is worthless? What is that one tactic and how can you get started winning with it today? We've been doing this series for a while where we're talking about spiritual warfare. You know, we're talking about the fact that we're in a real war with real victory, but also with real consequences, real casualties. And this war is for real. It's raging all around us and you're in the middle of it. And we've talked about how this war, it's, you know, it's not that kind of war. It's not a physical thing that you can always touch, taste, feel, hear, see. It's happening in the spirit realm. In fact, everything that you struggle with here, in the physical world, it starts in the spiritual realm. And that's the, that's the connection that we miss a lot of times. We think that we struggle against, you know, our, our brother, our sister. We think we struggle against the opposing political party. We think we struggle against our neighbor or our coworker. But the scripture's clear, we're not waging war against flesh and blood. Right, in fact, in Ephesians 6, Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm. Stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. There it is. We're not fighting that kind of war. This is a different kind of war. We're fighting against the evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So we've been talking about this for weeks now, and you might have noticed that I haven't gone there yet. You know, we, we, we always, when we hear people talk about spiritual warfare, it seems like every book I read, every sermon I listened to, uh, I, 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 in doing research for this, I found that it seemed like most of the time when you talk about spiritual warfare, there's a little kind of preamble and then they jump right into the weapons of our warfare, the armor that God gives us. And you might have noticed I haven't gone there. I haven't really, we haven't looked at the armor yet. And that's because I've been wanting to lay a really good foundation. I want to get your feet set and ready for action before we start talking about the actual tactics that we're going to use. And so today we're going to actually take a glance as we get into talking about the armor a little bit. And I want to look at something really clear. I want us to see today that the armor, it's coming. We're going to be talking about the armor. But there's one tactic that you have that must come first. There's one tactic that you have that will make all of the components of the armor work. Without this tactic that you have been given, the whole rest of the armor is useless. So Paul points out our armor, the weapons of our warfare, the tools to use in Ephesians 6. He says this, he says in verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you will 
be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil, then after the battle, you will be standing firm. So he says in verse 14, stand your ground, putting on, and then he lists the armor. He says, put on the belt of truth. He starts off with the belt of truth, and then he says, put on the body armor of righteousness and put on the shoes of peace. He says, use the shield of faith, put on the helmet of salvation, and take up the sword of the Spirit. So he walks us through all of this, but then he kind of tells us something at the end of the list. He tells us something that I think is really, really important. First, he says this. He says, pray in the Spirit. Talking about the armor, he says, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Pray in the Spirit at all times. Be persistent praying in the Spirit for all believers everywhere. So Paul lists the armor, but then at the end, he talks about prayer. And here's what I think. I don't think Paul is just tacking on prayer. Oh, you you should probably pray also. I don't think he's saying, get all the armor on and, and then you should pray. Probably it's important. I don't think he's saying that prayer is last on the list because it's not important. I think Paul is talking about prayer last because Paul is presuming that you as a believer are already a person of prayer. He's presuming that you are already a person with a thriving prayer life. Paul sure was. I mean, you just read in this very book in Ephesians, uh, the way he talks about prayer leading up to all this, dude, he was all about prayer, his prayer life. So I think he's really trying to be clear with us that prayer is the thing that makes the armor possible. So I spent some time at Lowe's this week. So I needed some lights because Light Up LJ was coming and um, we didn't have the right kind of lighting to light a a group that was going to be singing. And so uh, I went there to get some work lights because I saw online that they had these 2,000 lumen powerful, powerful work lights. 2,000 lumen. That's like projector lumen kind of stuff. So I was like, dude, I need to get some of these 2,000 lumen powerful lights. And they're just work lights, right? They're work lights, and they don't make them like they used to. You know, they're nowadays, they're uh, heavy-duty LED. Uh, They are wireless battery-powered. They're tripod-mountable. And so I was like, yeah, for 70 bucks, 70 bucks, I can get this 2,000 uh, a lumen LED powerful light and that will honk and light up I, I bought two of them I was like this will be amazing it'll be great so I, I walked out of Lowe's all proud with the boxes and I got them home and, and I opened them up and what I found out was for 70 bucks you get a great light but no battery at all <laughs> no battery and no charger nothing So I've got a powerful, powerful light that I cannot make even come on in the first place. It doesn't work. This thing has never been on and it's never gonna come on until I connect it to its power source. And what I'm telling you is God gives us armor to fight this battle, but it's worthless without the power that makes it strong. Okay, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Wow, okay, got, got applause for that. That's what this is all about, and that's what I want us to look at today is the fact that it's the armor that brings, sorry, it's the prayer that brings the strength to the armor. It's the prayer that brings the muscle to the fight. 
So the first blank on your page is that prayer activates the armor. Prayer is the battery that gives the armor its strength. If you're gonna win this fight, you gotta be connected to the power source. Because I know and you know that you can swing that sword and wear that armor all day long, but it's only gonna do damage to you if you're not connected to the power source. All right, because we both know, we, come on, we both know people that really know how to wield the sword, right? They know the word of God and they know how to use it, but they use it to humiliate other people and to bring pain and shame in their lives. You know, instead of fighting our enemy, they use it to fight brothers and sisters. You know, they use the word of God rather than an offensive weapon against the armies of hell. They use the word as a manipulative tool to retain control and power. You, you've seen that. That's somebody who's not connected to the power source. They've learned the tactic, but they aren't plugged in. Right, or they um, use faith. They use faith as a crutch to deny reality. Or they wear the shoes of peace to justify their own misbehavior. Well, God's okay with my sin. I'm at peace with God, even though God is really the one at war with them. Right, We know these kinds of things. I want you to use the tactics, but I want to make sure that you're connected to the power first. So that's why we're looking at this today. So he describes the armor, and here's what he says about prayer right after the armor. Again, verse 18 of Ephesians 6, he says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. If I'm going to be effective in this battle, I've got to be powered by prayer. Victory comes through Jesus, and that victory through Jesus is accessed by prayer. So I want us to look carefully at what Paul says here in this passage about prayer. He starts off by saying, pray in the Spirit. In fact, that's the next blank on your page, pray in the Spirit. That's what he's telling us, that we should not just generally pray. He leads us to a specific type of prayer, pray in the Spirit. Now, I know, I know that there's a lot of talk about what it means to pray in the Spirit, and, and you can hear all kinds of uh, confusing and convoluted stuff about what it means to pray in the Spirit. So I, I just want to say, why make the simple complex? Praying in the Spirit means that when you pray, you are being motivated and led by God. All right, it's, it's praying taking God's lead, all right? It's, it's praying in such a way to, way to where he empowers your prayer. He uh, encourages you to pray in line with his will, and you are praying being led by the Holy Spirit. I don't know how to make it any simpler, really, than that. We get a little insight into this in Romans 8. I love this passage. Romans 8 says, we don't always know what God wants us to pray for. In fact, in this passage, he's talking about our, our weakness in the flesh, and he's saying we don't, we, don't, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, 
But the Holy Spirit will pray for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. In other words, you know, you, you know you gotta pray. You know it's time to pray. You know you should be praying. You know, that's a problem I should pray for, but you're not sure how to pray. What this is telling us is the Spirit comes right alongside. The Spirit comes right along with you, and He guides you and leads you. He prays along with you and helps you know how to connect to the power source. We don't just see this here in the Scripture, but I saw it happen just about 45 minutes ago. Because earlier today, this morning, uh, David Lynn, right back there in the back, he, um, he needed to pray for uh, uh, someone here in the auditorium, and she just needed some prayer. He was there, he said, let me pray for you, and, and let me tell you something, he did not get the full explanation. He did not get, he, she didn't say, I need you to pray about this, 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 this. I got my mama and my kid and my brother, and I, you know, she didn't go through the list. She just said, I need prayer, and, and he prayed for her. At the end of the prayer, tearfully, she said, how did you know exactly what I needed prayer for? That's the way God works when you pray in the Spirit. He guides you, and he tells you what to pray for. Listen, there's no magic number on that, but I can tell you how to get started. I mean, there's, there's not like a magic combination you can use to all of a sudden pray in the Spirit. You don't have to be gifted in prayer. You don't have to be some kind of crazy, uh, you know, prayer warrior. I'm just telling you, get started now. You can get started. Get started with praying by praying what God wants in the first place. Just pray according to God's will. Let me kind of explain that by using an illustration from the Old Testament. Elijah did this really well. And I hope we can kind of learn from Elijah today. The king at that time was King Ahab. And you know you're not a great king and you're not gonna go down in history as a great king when the Bible itself describes you as the worst king Israel ever had. So Ahab is a bad king king there was all kinds of bad stuff you know prostitution corruption idol worship he led the people of God to worship the Baals and Ahab had temples built for the Baals in Israel right I mean he's really leading them in the wrong direction and God is going these are my people I will not stand for this you got to stop this Ahab and and so he sends Elijah to Ahab to tell King Ahab, hey, buddy, you are really messing up. Stop. And Ahab doesn't stop. In fact, it gets worse and it gets worse. So uh, finally, God says, okay, you're the king. And, um, you know, I, I got to do something about this. God's like, I'm not going to let this continue. So I'm going to stop the rain. You know, the, the seasonal rains there are very, very big. They get the seasonal rains twice a year. And that's what, that's what they, that's the whole thing for them rain-wise. And God says, I'm going to stop the seasonal rains and you're not going to have any rain and, and you're going to have a drought and a famine. And this is going to last for years or until you repent and turn back to me. And so Elijah tells Ahab, Ahab doesn't care, so the drought happens. The rains stop. No rain. And sure enough, it lasts for over three. God speaks to Elijah again 
after over three years. Here's what he says in 1 Kings 18. Later on, in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go present yourself to King Ahab and tell him, tell him that I will soon send rain. Who's gonna send the rain? God, his purpose, his plan, his intent is to soon send rain. Praise the Lord, thank you, we need the rain. We, we've dried all up here, we're dying here, we're, we're, we're thirsting, we just need the rain. We need that healing, restoring rain from God. You ever felt that way in your life? You ever felt like it's parched, dry? You're running on empty, you got nothing left, and you're just like, I just need you to send the rain, God, just send the rain. And God promises, he promises Elijah, I will soon send rain. Well, Elijah isn't gonna just sit on this. He's gonna obey God. So he goes to Ahab, and he's like, dude, you better, you better get ready for this. This is gonna be a, a big deal. Um, God's about to do something. In fact, here's what he says in 1 Kings 18. Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink. Okay, time out here. He's telling him to take a break because between the last verse I read and this verse, there was some crazy stuff that went on. I mean, it's kind of a big deal. You really ought to read your Bible because there's some stuff that happens between uh, Elijah and these 400 prophets of Baal. And it's kind of a big deal. Won't go into it all now, but it's a big showdown. Spoiler alert, God wins. <laughs> And it, but it's ugly. I'm just telling you, it's ugly. And uh, then uh, Elijah obeys God and he, he says, go take a break. And look what he says. For I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Now remember, there's not a cloud in the sky. Nobody has seen a single drop of rain for over three years. And Elijah makes this bold declaration based on the promise of God. He makes this bold declaration, a mighty rainstorm is coming. I can hear it. Can you hear it? I know it's been dry. I know we're all dying on the vine, thirsting. But can you hear the rain? It's coming. It's coming. God said it was coming. Now I can hear it coming. Not a cloud in the sky, but I can hear it coming. This is a confident word from Elijah, so confident that God will do what he says that he makes this crazy, insane, bold declaration to Ahab. Now watch what happens next. This is really interesting. Ahab, in verse 42, he went to eat and drink. Okay, I'll take my break. But Elijah didn't. Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. This is a picture from there. And he bowed to the ground and he prayed with his face between his knees. Huh. He's heard the promise of God and he's made the bold declaration to Ahab that the rain is coming and now he's praying. What's he praying for? He's praying for rain. He's praying that God would fulfill his promise. He's agreeing with God. 
And he's saying, you've made this promise and now I'm submitting yourself. I'm taking this humble, humble posture and I'm submitting yourself to what you said you would do. I know that you intend to do this and I am just declaring my faith to Ahab about you and now I'm showing my faith to you about you. He's praying that God would send the rain. Listen, a great way to get started in praying in the spirit is to get your hands on the promises of God. Okay, I mean, he's made thousands of promises to me and you in his word. He's really clear about what he intends to do in your life and in my life. And if we just could get our heads around it and just, and just agree with God, God, you promised. God, you said. I'm just submitting, I'm humbling myself, I'm submitting to your promise, to believing in what you said you would do. This is a beautiful picture of praying in the spirit. I, I've, heard, I've heard preachers say that you should pray bold prayers. And I agree with them. But the way they describe bold prayers, it seems to me that what they're saying is that you should tell God what you want and he will jump to make it happen. And I start kind of going, what? Because here's the reality. Um, I think you can, you can pray as hard as you want. You can scream and yell all you want. You can cry all you want, but you can't twist God's arm. Because God isn't your puppet. He's not a dog that jumps on your command. You can't force God's hand and make him do anything that he doesn't intend to do. He doesn't serve you. You serve him. Okay, are we, can we be clear about that? Um, so God is God, and you and I don't make demands of a sovereign, holy God. We pray with our face between our knees. And we submit to who God is and what he says he intends to do. We take the Elijah posture, this posture of humility. Let's look at it again. First Kings 18, Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of the mountain. He bowed to the ground and he prayed with his face between his knees. Remember this. We're going to talk about it more in just a second, but look what happens. Then he says to his servant, go and look out toward the sea. So he's praying, he's praying, and while he's praying, I don't know how long he's been praying, but he's been praying, and he says, okay, I'm praying, I'm agreeing with God, I'm submitting to what he said he would do. So go look, go look toward the sea. When, when you're up on the top of Mount Carmel, which we got to be, and we're gonna be again next year. I'd love for you to go with us. You'll get to stand on the top of Mount Carmel and you can't see it anywhere else, but when you're on the very top of Mount Carmel, you can look out and you can just see the Mediterranean Sea from there. You have to be on the very top to see it and you can just see it. So he's praying and he says, go and look and see what you see. So the servant goes and looks west toward the sea, hoping that something's gonna be blowing in from the ocean and look what happens. The servant went and looked, returned to Elijah and said, I, I don't see anything. 
So what does Elijah do? Well, dang it, God doesn't hear a word I say. I've been begging and begging and begging. No, look, look, look. I didn't see anything. And then look what happens next. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Seven times. Okay, go look again. Because I'm going to keep praying. I'm just going to keep praying until God sends the rain. He said he was going to send the rain. So I'm going to keep agreeing and begging him to do what he said he'd do. I'm just going to keep praying. You keep looking. Remember, remember what, what Paul said in Ephesians? Be persistent in your prayers. Dude, this is persistence. God promised it. It hadn't happened yet. He's praying, and he, they keep going and looking, but nothing. Just keep looking. Just keep going and looking. Seven times. Finally, the seventh time, the servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand. I don't even know what that means, a man's hand but it's rising from the sea. Something's happening. Something's ha- the wind isn't blowing. The sky hasn't gotten dark. I hadn't felt, I hadn't felt anything yet, but, but something is starting. And look what Elijah does. Elijah shouted. And he said, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. Sky still blue. One tiny little cloud off in the distance hadn't felt a drop of rain in three and a half years, but you better hurry because the rain is coming. I hear the rain coming. Hurry up because God will be faithful to what he said. And soon, the next verse, soon the sky was black with clouds and a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Wow. Wow. He could hear the rain coming because he knew God would be faithful. And sure enough, God did exactly what he said he would do. And it was Elijah's prayer that accessed that power. It was Elijah's prayer that demonstrated his faithfulness. It was Elijah's prayer that helped him have the faith to make the bold declarations and to keep sending the servant to keep looking. It's that power source that makes it all happen. I love this thing. Remember I told you to, to, to keep in mind his posture? Where was his head? I'm old enough to where I don't even want to try that. <laughs> I thought about trying it right here. I'm, yeah. I mean, it sounds tough. I mean, he's in a posture clearly of humility, submissiveness. I like what Dr. Tony Evans said about this. You know, he says that this may not mean a lot to me and you in our culture. He says this. He says, when a woman gave birth in Elijah's day, she didn't have the luxury of a modern hospital bed, so she would often position herself by crouching down and placing her face between her knees. This put her in a position of travail. In doing so, she wasn't creating the life of the child within her. She was simply providing the best possible avenue for the life that already existed to be brought into this new realm. So Elijah didn't just bow his head, close his eyes, hum a hymn, and ask for rain. Scripture tells us that Elijah positioned himself in a posture of travail to access the promise of God. Here's the way I wrote it down. Uh, prayer is the earthly participation in a heavenly delivery. Yeah. 
What if God wants to deliver in your life? What if God wants to bring that victory to produce that, those results in your life? And what if, what if he is there and ready to make it happen, we just haven't plugged in yet? Prayer is about winning the victory in your life. God said he would bring victory. He has provided the means, that's Jesus, and now we claim it through persistent prayer in the Spirit. How would it change the course of the battles in our lives if we just took the time that you and I always spend worrying about our problems? If we just took the time you and I always spend griping about our problems? What, what if we just took that time and instead we chose to be persistent in prayer? What could that do to the battles in our lives? How might it change the outcome of those battles in our lives? So the first thing he tells us is to pray in the Spirit. Second thing he says in Ephesians 6, 18 is to pray in the Spirit in all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent, persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So pray in the Spirit, but the next thing is, and it's the next blank on your page, pray at all times. Pray at all times. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, right? I mean, we know we're supposed to always be praying, right? Always have a spirit, always have an attitude of prayer. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it says, never stop praying. Another translation says, pray without ceasing. Yeah. So, of course, we're supposed to pray, you know, at all times, like Paul says in Ephesians. But... I'm going to mess you up here a little bit again like I do from time to time. Just hang on with me for a second because I don't know that our English translations get this quite right. And I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying that English is not quite as precise as Greek. So what I find when I do my research here is that Paul, I don't, I don't think he really means in this particular passage when talking about praying in the Spirit during warfare, warfare prayer, Oftentimes, and it can mean in the meantime, right? I mean, chronos is a pretty good general word and it would mean all the time, but that's not the word that Paul chose to use here. The word here for pray at all times is actually the Greek word kairos, kairos. This is a much more specific word. It's not talking about just general all the time, anytime, sometime, short time, long time. Kairos means a specific time. It means a critical time. It means an opportune time. So chronos is let's spend some time together. Kairos is let's have lunch tomorrow at 12. You see the difference? And Paul's saying pray in the spirit at the kairos time right? Kairos is different. He's talking about this opportune time, this opportune time. What is the opportune time he's talking about? He already states it in verse 13. He says, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. He's talking about the time of evil. So this is warfare moment we're talking about. It's when all hell breaks loose in your life. It's when everything all of a sudden falls apart all around you. 
It's when you feel the most attacked, the most oppressed. It's when the lion is roaring in your face. This is the Kairos time, the opportune time specifically for warfare prayer. It's the critical moment for you and for me to be praying in the spirit. Why don't we do that? I know that's what you're asking. Why don't we do that? <laughs> you know why we don't do it. You know why you don't do it. You know why I don't do it. Because you and I, we tend to think that prayer is boring. Don't tell me that you don't. You think prayer is boring. I know because we see Kairos moments. For example, we did this back during the pandemic. We did it recently. We, had, we called our church to an hour of prayer, one hour of prayer, 60 minutes of prayer. Because there's an election, a midterm election that who'd have known it would have been this important. We should pray about this. This is a warfare election. This is not just a physical election. We need to pray about this right now. We're going to have prayer here for 60 minutes right here in this room. All you got to give is an hour. Just come on tomorrow night. We're going to be praying here. And, you know, we had like 20 people show up. What does that say about us in prayer? We think it's boring. We don't think it's worth investing one hour into. You'll, you'll watch more Yellowstone tonight. Right? I mean, that's just the way we are. We don't think prayer is worth investing in. It's boring. Why do we think prayer is boring? Because, I'm just going to be honest, we pray boring prayers. We pray these sweet little nice pretty prayers I talked about it a week or two ago. I mean, you know, we all start off. Come on, we all start off the same way. Let's all fold our hands. Come on, come on, let's all fold our hands. Fold our hands. We're teaching, we're teaching the grandkids to pray. Close your eyes, fold your hands. Carter's doing it pretty good. He kind of folds his hands. He looks around like, really, are we doing this? <laughs> I mean, there's food right there. Why do we? And so, come on, you got your hands folded? Come on, fold your hands. And then we all, no matter who we call in to pray, will you start us in prayer? Will you start us in prayer? Okay, I'm just gonna call somebody, start us in prayer. And here's the way it always goes. Ready? Here it is. We always start the same way. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Right? I mean, you know that's the start of the prayer. Why do we always start it that way? Because we're trying to think of what we're supposed to say next. Right? And we can do that without thinking about it. Now, of course, you want to dear Heavenly Father it up. You want to thank Him for the beautiful day. Sure. But frankly, we pray boring prayers. We pray sweet little pansy prayers. I mean, I hear them. I pray them sometimes. I think we pray boring prayers because we don't expect the rain to come. We've been looking at that blue, dry sky for years. We've been parched and dying for years and we don't really think the rain is gonna come and so we pray these prayers that just won't offend God and that sound real pretty when other people hear them. We make them as pretty as we can. Use as many syllables as you can work in. And we don't think God's really gonna send the rain. We forget, we forget, we forget what prayer is doing when we're doing it that we aren't just blessing people with the sound of our voice, but we are declaring in the spiritual realm that God wins this and we're on his team. 
We are making change in the spiritual realm. Jesus says that you are my army and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And we are praying it back. We're pushing it back and we're gaining ground for the kingdom of God. We forget this. We forget it. And so it just becomes pretty and nice and boring, sleepy. We pray generalized chronos prayers. And we don't pray the Kairos opportune moment prayers. James says that the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So my challenge to you is stop complaining and suit up disconnect from your own power source and connect in to God's power. Bring the muscle to the fight. Pray. Paul says in Ephesians 1, he says, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Did you read that? The power that you have access to is the power that raised Christ from the dead. You're just praying that your driveway will get paved next week, right? You're just, you're just praying that, you know, everything's gonna be okay and we'll have a nice day. But he's saying when you're praying, you're lighting up your light with the mighty power, so much power that it will raise the dead. Hello? Did we forget what prayer is really doing here? So we pray and affect much. I mean, you know what it's like to pray dead, going nowhere prayers. Because one time, one time, one time, you were far from God. Maybe you were like me and you were in school, in high school. You didn't know God, but you knew you were probably about to fail this test <laughs> that you knew your grade depended on and you were panicking because you didn't want to repeat ninth grade for the third time. That may or may not have happened to me. So you, you go into a panic and you pray, God, if you'll just let me pass this test, I promise, and you make some big promise to God, I will love you forever and I will pet the cat and I'll do whatever I gotta do, right? You make deals with God and what happens? Then you fail the test. And you give up on prayer. You give up on God. Because that wasn't a real prayer. I mean, you didn't have a relationship with God. You were dead. The scripture says you can't even have a real spiritual conversation because you're dead. You're spiritually dead. You were not praying to someone who you were working with. You were praying in that moment to someone that you were working against. You were asking your enemy to do something on your behalf because you had made God your enemy because of your own sin. And you were dead spiritually and under his wrath, you were under his judgment. You were spiritually dead and you were headed for eternal death. Hopeless and helpless. But God loved you so much, he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus, who had access to enough power to raise him from the dead. He walked in power, spoke with authority like no one had ever heard, did miracles like nobody had ever seen, told us about the kingdom, but then he went to the cross. 
And on the cross, with the power that he had, he could have he could have gotten right off that cross, healed his wounds instantly, and lightning stormed everybody to death around him if he wanted to. But instead, he used that power on the cross to take the shame and the guilt of your sin and my sin upon himself. And on that cross, he died for you and for me. And he paid the price for your sin and my sin. He eliminated the debt between you and God that made you God's enemy in the first place. And because he paid so well for our debt three days later, that happened. He rose from the dead. And now he lives to tell you, come on back home. Come on, come on, come on back home. I did this for you, come on back. I want you back. You're mine. I just want you to have a relationship with the Father in heaven. Romans 5, 6 says that when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. Look, another time word again. When we were helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. Next blank on your page is this. God moves at just the right time. I know it feels like you've been praying for three years, seven times over and over and over again. You've been praying that God would just fix this, just heal this, just cure this, just put this back together. And seven times you keep checking and checking, nothing's happening, but he moves at just the right time. He's not delaying, he's not running late. He didn't forget about you. He moves at just the right time. That's what he did for Elijah. He promised he would send the rain, but the rain didn't come just yet. It wasn't until after three and a half years and after he prayed over and over and over again persistently that the healing came, the rain came at just the right time. In 1 Peter 5, Peter writes that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves. Humble yourselves in the mighty power of God Submit to his power. So at the right time, he will lift you up. Submit to his power. And so there it is again, at the right time, at just the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and your cares to God because he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. He says this next. He says, remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. Hey, that ought to ring our bell just a little bit. Because I know you got it bad. I know you got it bad. I know. I, I know you're suffering with physical problems. You're suffering with relationship problems. You've been attacked on all sides by the people from whom you least expected it. I know you're hurting and you're dealing with it, but remember that you're part of something much bigger and much better. 
You're part of a family of people, and guess what? All of us are going through the same kind of suffering you are. It may not be, you know, the foot. It may not be the sister. It may not be the boss, but we're all going through the same kind of suffering you are. In other words, look at this. This is the normal Christian life. Satan came, lured us into agreeing with him, and he broke the image of God in us, and we suffer as a result. That's just the way it is. You will suffer. You will suffer. You will be attacked in this war. But look what he says next. He says, in his kindness, God has called you to share in his eternal glory. You're going to suffer now, but God has called you to share in his eternal glory because of Jesus Christ. So after, you, after you've suffered for a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. He will place you on that firm foundation. He will. He will heal. The rain is coming. The storm is coming. The storm that you need, that you're longing for. And it's coming when? After you have suffered. Look at this again. After you've suffered for a little while. It's another time word. It's another, there's another Greek word here I want you to see. This is another Greek word for time. It's not chronos. It's not kairos. But this is a weird word. It's the Greek word oligos. I know that sounds weird. Oligos. And this word, it means something very specific about time. It means not just a specific time, but a specific small amount of time. It means a little time or a very few times or it could mean a little small segment or sliver of time, right? So just a sliver, small amount of time. In our vernacular, we might say in no time. In no time. In no time. He will restore and heal and set you on the firm foundation. So I'm hoping what you're seeing through all of these time words is the key combination to standing and winning in this war. The key combination is just this. We pray in the Spirit at the opportune time. And God moves at just the right time so that our suffering will be over in no time. Come on. That's pretty amazing. So prayer, last blank on your page, prayer is our winning tactic. Prayer is our winning tactic. 